Hello, my name is Maggie, and I'm going to be reading Exodus chapter 4 for you today. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow, slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. I just pray that you will be with Brandon today as he brings us your word, and I pray that our hearts will be opened um, to what you have to show us, and I pray that we will, be, we will be like Moses and Aaron, that even though we might not believe um, that you can work through us, that we will have faith, um, and we know that you will, and we know that you are faithful, and we know that you love us, and we know that you have given your Son to deliver us out of our bondage. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie. I 
Appreciate that. I knew that was uh, going to be a, was a long passage of Scripture to try to read through. Um, but I'm so glad that we're, we're able to bring different members of the church up to read and, and to be able to participate in that way and, and just to give opportunities to, to read Scripture and to pray corporately like this is, is such a good thing. So, so I appreciate you doing that. I meant a lot. And uh, good morning, Freshwater. So good to see you guys. Uh, so happy to be here. Always, uh, as usual, I, I, I want to say I love corporate worship. I love that we meet together in this way, uh, that we can lift up our songs uh, to the Lord in praise and adoration of His name. And so thank you to the worship team for, for leading us in worship through song. And, and then now as we, we worship God in the reading of Scripture, we, we worship God in, in the preaching of His Word. Uh, it just uh, It's such a sweet thing, and I, I hope that you feel that, I hope that you sense that, that that's why we come together, that's why we, we ought not to neglect gathering together corporately like this, because there's just so much sweetness and, and richness, and, and as one body, as the scripture talks about, that, that we are meant to come together and, and to do this in this capacity. Uh, so uh, I hope that, that you're glad to be here. Are you glad to be here? All right, amen. Are you ready to go? This is a long chapter. We should be out. I'm not going to make any promises. We'll just see what happens, okay? Uh, So real quickly, let me just kind of lay out a little bit of context because uh, as JT said last week, uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 really kind of play well together. It's the same scene that we're seeing play out across both chapters. So it's really kind of two sermons uh, c- combined as one. And, and last week we saw in Exodus chapter 3 how the Lord came to Moses. Remember, Moses was living as a shepherd and as a family man in, in Midian, right? And if you don't know where Midian uh, is, uh, JT had the map up last week. That was helpful. It's the western part of modern-day Saudi Arabia. Uh, if you don't know where Saudi Arabia is, then go back and, and talk to your high school uh, social studies teacher uh, but it, it's, it was about, oh, if memory serves me right, somewhere in the four to 500 mile range away from Egypt, I think. And the Lord comes to Moses as he's, he's living as a shepherd there. He's, he's married, he has, a, he has children now, working for his father-in-law, uh, Midi, uh, Jethro. And the Lord comes to Moses and he tells him, uh, Moses, I haven't forgotten my people Israel. Israel's still back in Egypt. They're still in bondage. They're still slaves in in Egypt. And God comes to Moses and he tells Moses, I haven't forgotten my people Israel and their plight in Egypt, how they're suffering and how uh, they are being afflicted. And he even goes goes on to say to Moses, I have seen their affliction and I have heard their cries and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, real quickly, I want to say something that is a little bit up here uh, in terms of, of theological language, and, and it's going to serve a purpose. We're going to see as I get there in just a little bit the purpose that it serves. But, but this language that, that is used about uh, God's interaction with Moses, how he's, he saw their affliction, he heard their cries, and he came down, that is what... Theologians typically refer to as anthropomorphic language, and it just means when we put human attributes or, or figures of speech, if you will, onto God. And that the figure of speech that is, is put onto God, referring to Him having human body parts and, and acting out with, with human emotions, right? God has hands, and He has an arm, and, and He has eyes and a mouth, and we know, or at least I hope we know, and if you don't, now you do, those things aren't to be taken literally, right? Because God exists in spirit form. So those phrases are used for a purpose. I don't think that, that it's not a mistake. It's very intentional, and those are things that, that I want to point out as we go along. But not only in, in referring to God as, as having human body parts, it also refers to, to God as uh, becoming angry, right? We're going to see that in this passage that, that Maggie just read for us. Uh, God um, uh, becoming uh, joyful, so to speak, and God's wrath and, and all of these other passions that, that the Scriptures use. Just know that this language, these emotions, these physical features that are put on God, they're not meant to be understood literally. And as I said, I, I bring that up because we're going to see in a bit, I think that this should give us comfort in who God is. Right? When we begin to really truly understand God in His sovereignty, which is what we're going to see played out 
all throughout the, the book of Exodus, but we see it played out pretty, pretty strongly in this chapter, the sovereignty of God and how that should come as a comfort to us, especially during difficult times. And Moses is about to enter into a really difficult time when he returns to Egypt. And so to understand that this kind of language is used about this sovereign, big, great, grand, majestic God who has all power and all might and all authority, but yet is spoken of in terms that are relatable to us, should bring us comfort in times of distress. So with that being said, I'll continue doing a, a, just a real quick recap. God tells Moses that he's going to send him back to Pharaoh, and he's going to use him to bring Israel out of Egypt. And Moses, I think, responds in a way that many of us, or at least I'll admit, I would be tempted to respond in the same way. And Moses says to God, he says, God, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Why send me? Who am I to do this task that you have? And church, listen, the, the answer to that question was... was laid out so beautifully last week, the answer is, Moses, you're nobody. But I chose you for this task. Right? One of the things that JT said last week that I thought was, was so fitting is that the one who seems to be the hero of the story, which is Moses, uh, has no power at all. The Lord answers Moses' question of, God, who am I? in a way that I think that we might not expect. He does answer the question. It's just not in the way that we would typically think that it should happen. Right? He, he doesn't say to Moses, well, you know, Moses, because you're an Israelite, you're, you're my child. That's why. That's why I chose you. Or he doesn't say, well, you know, Moses, because you grew up in the house of, of, of Pharaoh, and so you understand the customs and the traditions of the Egyptians, that's why I'm choosing you and sending you back to Egypt. He doesn't say either one of those things, which would both make sense. He answers the question in a way that doesn't really answer Moses' question. He says, Lord, who am I? Do we remember what God's response was? He says, I am. I, I will be with you. I will go with you. I am that I am sends you. I am going with you. Or to put it another way, God says, Moses, this, this isn't even really about you. This is about who I am as God. I'm choosing you. I'm sending you. I will give you everything that you need. It's not about you. It's not about your talents or your abilities, your strengths. It's not about any of that. It's about who I am. So Moses' question, Lord, who am I that you would send me to Pharaoh? Moses, or God's response is, I will be with you. That's who you are. Your identity is found in me, Moses. I'm sending you. I will equip you. And so the Lord goes on to tell Moses exactly who God is. He says, I am who I am. Right? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. Right? I have no sides, no top, no bottom. There's no, there is no bottom to the depth of who I am. You cannot reach it. I've shared this with you before. I love the way that, that God has spoken about in the Scriptures when they refer to Him as being unfathomable. That was the way that they measured the depth of the water when they were out at sea. They would cast it down and they would have notches along in the rope. And based on how many of those notches they counted was how many fathoms down the bottom of the sea was. God is unfathomable. And listen, church, what that means is it doesn't mean that you don't have a long enough rope. It means there is no bottom. You'll never reach it. That's who God is. That's who is sending Moses back to Egypt. And in that, the comfort that comes, because he says, I promise Moses that I will bring out my people, Israel, out of the affliction of Egypt. I will do it. But not only that, I know that Pharaoh, the king, he's not going to let them go unless he's forced to do it by a mighty hand. And there again, God says, I am that mighty hand. I'm sending you to do a seemingly impossible task 
and I'm going to do all the heavy lifting. I'm going to take care of all the difficult work. I just need you to respond. Let me scratch that. I don't need you to. I'm asking, I'm calling, I'm commanding you to respond and go. And so that brings us to chapter 4, which Maggie so wonderfully read for us. And we see Moses' response to the Lord. Now, Moses, listen, he's eventually going to learn to trust in the Lord. But he's not there yet. Right, right now, he is, he's fearful and he's hesitant. And he even voices some objections to the Lord, if you can imagine that. Moses gives three objections to the Lord. I'll point them out here real quickly and then, and then we'll look at them in greater detail as we go along. But Moses gives these three objections to, to God's command for Moses to go back to Egypt. The first one is, well, well God, what if they don't believe me? Right, what, if, what if Israel doesn't believe that you actually came to me and spoke to me and commanded me to do this thing? What if the Egyptians don't believe? What if Pharaoh doesn't believe? All right, does that resonate with anyone ever? When, when you're called to step out in faith, in whatever, whatever circumstance or situation that may be, right? What if, what if they just don't believe me? And then the second objection that, that Moses voices is, well, God, what, what if I just don't say it the right way? What if I can't speak well enough? What if, I, what if I mess up? What if I say the wrong thing? Right? And I think if I ask you, like, does that, you know, does that sound or feel familiar to you? Probably even more than the last objection, you would say, yeah, yeah. I don't step out in faith to do those things because I'm really afraid that I'm just going to say the wrong thing. Or, or that's just, that's, we'll reserve that job for the pastors, right? The, the professionals who know how to do that and who, and who do it well and often... I just, I just am afraid that I don't speak well enough and so I'm just not going to do it. And then third and, and final, Moses says, you know, God, can you just send someone else? Can you just let somebody other than me do that? I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how often have you felt that? Like, just, like, I just, I just don't think I can, I'm just not comfortable with this. Whatever the reason, you know, I'm just... I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing or, or I'm just super introverted and I hate to, to step out in that or I'm going to talk about Jesus so maybe that's going to lead to confrontation and I don't want to have confrontation in conversation. And so, you know what? I'm just going to step back. Somebody else will do it. God will send someone else. And you know what, church? The truth is that He will. He will send someone else. And that's not me giving you a pass or an excuse to say that you can do that. That God will just send someone else to do it when He's commanded us to do this. Right? Within our context of today, within the Great Commission, and I'm going to get back to the text here in just a moment, but uh, I'm off script right now. Uh, within the Great Commission, when we're called to go out, this is a conversation that we had in men's discipleship just Thursday night. Right? When we are commanded... Right? The Great Commission is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a thing where, where Jesus says, hey, if you want to do this, or if you feel comfortable doing this, or if you like doing this, then do it. But if not, then don't worry about it. Someone else will do it. No, it's a command that's given to disciples, Jesus' disciples, which by default are all of us today, right? We follow after Jesus' teaching. We emulate Him. We, we, we model our lives and our faith after our Savior. And in that great commission, the last command that Jesus gives to his disciples, he says, go. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them and baptizing them. Teaching them all that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. The command that's given. Back to these objections, though, from Moses. I believe these objections of Moses are, are obviously coming out of a place of fear and doubt, and ultimately a, a lack of faith in a sovereign Lord. All right, so I ask you again, like, who's ever felt that? I know that I have. Right? As, as much as I try to just white-knuckle hold on to this, this, this belief in this really big, great, grand, sovereign 
God of the universe. Who can do... He, scripture says He sits in heaven, in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. Right? Other passages of Scripture. Who are you, O man, to speak back to God? He does whatever He wants. I have that big, great, grand view of God. But yet, when I feel the Spirit leading me to do a thing that I'm not comfortable with, I'm like, eh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't feel super comfortable with that. I've been there. I've felt reluctant at times. And listen, I've even disobeyed at times. I've disobeyed what I felt God was leading me to do in, in, in just speaking the gospel to someone, to obey something that I believe that God is calling me to do based on His Word. And that came out of fear and doubt and ultimately a, a lack of faith. And it's in those moments that I felt like I wasn't enough. Right? I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to say the wrong thing. And you know what the truth is, church? I'm, I wasn't enough. And I'm still not enough. And you're not enough. But you know who is? Our Lord is enough. He's more than enough. And so when He commands us to do a thing, we don't have to worry about how talented we are or how well equipped we feel like we are. Now, in this text, I want to be careful because I, this, this isn't explicitly in the text, but I think that we can kind of see it at play. So I just I want to preface it that way. I want to be a little careful. I think we can almost hear what God's response would be to these three objections from Moses. I think God would say, you know, Moses, you're right. I didn't choose you because you were strong. I didn't choose you because you can, you can speak well. I didn't choose you for, for any of those reasons. But the thing is, is, Moses, I don't often call the wise or the powerful to carry out my plans. No, I like to use what is foolish to shame the wise, and I like to use what is weak to shame the strong. And Moses, you're weak. And Pharaoh... He's strong. Keep in mind, Pharaoh is king over what is the most powerful nation in the known world at that time. The most, so let's just say the most powerful man in the world. But Moses, why should that stop you from obeying my command? Moses, don't, don't you remember? I said that I have come down and I will deliver my people. I said that I will be with you. So let's go back to the text. <clears throat> let's read a bit of this exchange between Moses and the Lord. So if you haven't done so already, turn to Exodus chapter 4. We're not going to reread the whole thing. Exodus chapter 4, we'll pick up at verse 3. <clears throat> this, in this section we see this dialogue between God and Moses, and, and it's about the signs that, that the Lord will perform before, before Israel, before Pharaoh. And so let's look at verses 3 through 9 to see how God responds to Moses' hesitation to obey his commands and, and, and how God is going to give signs to perform, uh, to, to validate this calling. Chapter 4, verse, starting in verse 3. And he, being God, said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put, your hand, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. 
If they, not, if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So these three signs show the extent of God's power. And I think it, it does it in, in three areas that are, are very interesting to me. So the first one, we see the staff that Moses is carrying God says, throw it on the ground, and he throws it on the ground, and it turns into a snake, right? So something that, that is most likely at, at play here, other than the obvious of God is just wowing Moses, right? I think God, I mean, if we could say God's just showing off, this is like, you know, this is uh, small, small potatoes, if you will, for God. Like, yeah, no big deal, but Moses, look, look, look what I can do. But here's something else that I think might be at play. As this staff turns into a snake, it was really common within Egyptian culture that a snake, more specifically a cobra, was a sign of great power and also sovereignty. But not only that, it was also a symbol of royalty and deity and divine authority over all of ancient Egypt. And so the headpiece that Pharaoh wore had a cobra on the end of it. And Pharaoh was the only one who could wear that symbol on his headdress. And so that was a symbol to the rest of, to all of, of Egypt and really to the rest of the world. It was a statement of saying, I, Pharaoh, I'm sovereign. I am divine. I am God. I have all power and all authority. And God's saying, yeah, no. No, you don't. I do. So Moses throw the, the staff on the ground and, and it turns into a snake. And let's just say it was most likely a, a cobra. Just pick it up. And it turns back into a wooden staff. So God's saying to Pharaoh, you, you don't have power. You don't have authority. I have power. I have authority. I am divine. I am God. I am God alone. And so I think a very big statement is being made. So that's the first sign that, that the Lord gives to Moses. And the second one, Moses puts his hand inside of his cloak. He pulls it out, and it's leprous. He puts it back in, and ta-da, it's brand new. God performing this sign to say that over, over the human body, I, I have authority, I have power, I have, I have all control. And the thing was, again, I think there's more at play that... that Understand something, the leprosy was this uncontrollable disease that ravaged the ancient world. They could do nothing to stop it. The best thing that they could do was really to, to ostracize and, and to excommunicate people who, who developed uh, this, this disease of, of leprosy. They would move them outside of the city. And when they came inside the city, they would have to yell out, unclean, so everyone would know that they were approaching and move to the other side of the street. So they had, they had no one, they had nothing, right? Just to, to live really in exile or in a community of, of, of other people who had this disease until the day they died, while their body just rotted away until the day that they died. And Moses, or rather, God is saying to Moses, put your hand inside your cloak, and he pulls it back out, and it's leprous. Put it back in. Pull it back out, and it's like the rest of, of his flesh. And God is saying, I have power and control over everything. I can do all things, Moses. Use this as a sign, as a symbol of, of who I am and my power and my might. And then thirdly, over really all of nature, right? He says, take some water out of the Nile, put it on dry ground, the water will turn into blood. And then if you know the story, later on, it happens to the whole entire river where it turns into blood. So here's what's at play. The Nile was a source of power and life. For Egypt and it gave them authority because here they are in, in this, this arid, dry region, but right around the Nile everything was lush and green and full of life. And they had livestock and crops and plants, all of it being provided by the Nile. And God is going to do something to show his power, and he's going to take this source of life and power and authority, and he's going to turn it into something that destroys life. Right? If, if an entire river turns into blood, everything in it's going to die. It's going to smell. 
So God is showing, I have all power and authority, Moses. And then additionally, when Moses continues to resist, God gives him his brother Aaron as a spokesman. And so, although God states that these signs will be given so that Israel will believe, right? Moses is saying, what if they don't believe? God gives these signs so that Israel will believe, so, so that Pharaoh will believe. I think they also serve as, as confirmation to Moses as well. Because God has been gracious in his responses to Moses' questions so far. He hasn't rebuked him or corrected him up to this point. And so understand that, that at, at this point, the, or, or the, the point is that even though, I'm, I, if I haven't made it clear, God is responsible for all of the hard work, all of the heavy lifting. He's going to do it all. But Moses, he's still, he's still expected, he's still responsible to, to act in faith. He's still expected to, to act in faith in response to what the Lord has commanded him to do and, and the thing that the, that the Lord has promised about his, his, per, his purpose for Israel and also his person, who he is. So, as I said, God hasn't rebuked Moses for his questions yet. Instead, he's used this time and this opportunity to, to reveal his, his person and his purpose. But that's about to change. Moses gives this objection to, I'm going to say his, his perceived inability to speak clearly. All right, I've heard different theologians say that Moses was a stutterer. Um, I don't know, maybe. Uh, but I think, you know, probably more accurately, Moses just, he, it was his own perceived inability to speak well out of his own fear and his own doubt. It was his own insecurities that, that, that was feeding that. So he gives this, this objection to his, his own perceived inability to speak clearly, and he asks the Lord to send someone else. So let's pick back up in verse 11. We'll read through 14. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh Lord, please send someone else. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. So when the story states that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, it tells us, as I stated just moments ago, that I, I believe that Moses is responsible. He's responsible to respond in faith and do the thing that God instructed him to do. All right, Moses, or, or, or God rather, desires that, that Moses obey out of his faith in God. He's not asking for perfection, right? He knows that Moses isn't perfect. He knows that we aren't perfect. He's not asking for perfection. He's asking for faithful obedience. Right? So in light of, of these two chapters, what we're seeing play out is, is God is working out his, he, he's, he's showing his might and his power and his glory to, to Moses. He's showing him who he is. Right? Go back to the burning bush that's, that's ablaze, but it's not being consumed by fire. Moses goes over to check it out. And we have this exchange leading all the way into chapter 4. So what we see in chapter 3 playing out is, is God really just showing His might and, and declaring his, his authority and saying, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to do this thing. And then we get into chapter 4 and we see more of the same thing, but it's paired up with Moses' feelings of insecurity and insufficiency. And so that's where I really want us to land today is, is how at times we feel so inefficient and so ill-equipped to do the thing that God is commanding us to do. But remember, church, that God isn't asking for perfection. He's asking for obedience. However, in all of this, in, in God's patience and His grace with Moses, the Lord still accommodates him by giving him Aaron as, as a spokesman. But still also calling him to go, 
calling him to lead out Israel from Egypt. But that's not all, though. God, he provides the spokesman, but, but he goes a step further, right? He says, I'll give you Aaron, your brother, the Levite. He'll speak for you. But not only that, I'll also give you the words to say. So God tells Moses, I'm going to give you the words to speak to, to Aaron, who will then convey that to everyone. And so I think we see this, this working relationship between the Lord that describes for Aaron and Moses. I think it's very similar to, to the way that we see later on throughout the Old Testament, the prophets of God, that they would speak on behalf of the Lord. But they, they didn't speak their own words, right? No, they would say, thus says the Lord. And then they would share all that God had commanded them to say. The same thing is playing out here. So, so understand, just as a quick side note, when the Scripture says that, that Moses would be as God to Aaron, it just simply means that he's speaking the words of God to Aaron, who's going to relay that to the people. So Aaron's going to serve as Moses' messenger, telling the people all that God had said. So again, I, we, we see God commanding to do a specific task. But then, not only does he just give the command, he, he equips them with the tools necessary to carry it out. Do you see that? God is commanding Moses to do this thing, and in his patience and in his grace with Moses and his objections, he provides all the tools necessary to, to carry out the task that he's been commanded to do. So, all that we as, as, as mankind, as human beings, have to do is to trust in the Lord and to obey Him. And I know, church, that sounds, that's so much easier for me to just stand up here and say that, right, than for us to boots on the ground to, to, to try to apply it to our own lives. Hey, church, listen, just trust God and just obey Him. Just do what He says. It'll be easy. No, it's going to be difficult. But in that, take comfort, take heart, Christian. God is with you. The, the great I am will be with you and he will give you all that you need. But we have to step out in faithful obedience. And that leads us into really the second section of this chapter, right? If we could see it broken up into two sections, 1 through 17 and then 18 through 31. That brings us to this second section where we see Moses is at the place now where he's finally, I think, able and, and, and willing to submit to God. He's ready as much as he can be to go. Right? God hasn't given him an out, so, and he sees that, and he's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow the command. I'm going to return to Egypt. And this section is brief, but it's really significant. Because as I, I touched on just a moment ago, I think this really demonstrates both the insufficiency of Moses, right, which, which we should be able to identify, it describes the insufficiency of Moses to carry out a task to be the deliverer of Israel from Egypt. But then it also points out the sufficiency of the God who called him. Right? Uh, Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4 through 6. You don't have to turn there, but just listen carefully. In, in talking about this, this very same thing, Paul writes. Such is the confidence that we have through uh, Christ toward God. And then hear this. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. God, who, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. So in response to every objection, every, every question that 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 Moses had or objection that he had to God, God patiently shows his patience and his unlimited sufficiency to provide for the task ahead. And not only that, but his power will be with Moses. Right? If, if you know the story, Moses carries the staff with him throughout the rest of the Exodus story, and he does many mighty and wonderful things with it. Right? As a symbol of the power of the God who sent him to perform this task. And that's the point in all of this, in this chapter. The, the point I want you, church, to take out more than anything is that God is 
is always capable. He's always the true deliverer of his people. In this specific story, he, he is the one who's, who's the true deliverer of his people. It's not Moses. But the things that he does in and through Moses, it, who is his, his chosen servant, right? I touched on that just a moment ago. Moses didn't volunteer for the job. He didn't want it. God chose him specifically. Moses, you're going to do this thing for me. And we see that so often throughout the Old Testament, do we not? Where God just comes, or even in the New Testament, Christ shows up and, and confronts Saul on the road to Damascus. He says, Saul, you're Paul now. You're mine. You're going to do this thing. You're going to go and you're going to spread the gospel and you're going to plant churches. And so we see this very same thing. God chose Moses as his, his servant. And Moses' call was simply to just trust in the Lord in obedient faith. To believe that God's power would be displayed in Moses' weaknesses. So, I'll go to 2 Corinthians again one more time. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 through 10. This one is, uh, is, is a little more well known. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, Paul says that God's grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, listen, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is confident submission to the Lord's will, which leads us to a place of joyful obedience to His commands. I want to pause real quick there because I very intentionally chose the word joyful obedience rather than happy. I'm not telling you that when you submit in confidence to the will of the Lord that you're going to walk that out in, in happy obedience all of the time. We don't know that that's the case for Moses, right? It doesn't say I don't assume that Moses is just thrilled to carry out the task that God has called him to do. He's terrified. He's going up against the most powerful man in the world. So he's probably not happy about it. The church, is happiness and joyfulness the same thing? No, we can be joyful in the Lord knowing that we are right smack dab in the center of His will doing the very thing that He has instructed us to do and we can be content in that. And listen, we can also be terrified. Because we're insufficient for the task that we've been called to do. But hear me. God is sufficient. God is capable. There is nothing in this world ever, and I mean nothing, that will ever stop or thwart or, or deter God's plans. He does all that He desires and nothing, nothing will stop it ever. So take confidence in that. Walk out your obedience in joyfulness in that because you don't have to be enough because God is enough. So with that said, let's... Uh, Let's make this really quick pit stop at a really strange part of the story that's inserted at verse 24. Right? What, what in the world is going on here? Let me pick up at verse 24 20 through 26. And at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. This is Moses. He's seeking to kill Moses. Then Zipporah took a flint cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are the bridegroom of blood to me. So let him alone. Let, let he, excuse me, so he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So listen, this story seems a bit puzzling. This, this part of the story seems a bit puzzling at first glance, does it not? All of a sudden, right, God is 
God has commanded Moses to go do this, this seemingly impossible task, right? And, and it's, he has this conversation of like, Moses, you don't have to be enough because I'm enough. Just go. I'll be with you. I'll give you everything that you need. Moses finally comes to the place where he's like, yes, Lord, I'll go. And he's on his way. They stop at a lodging place. And God sought to take his life. Wait, what? God sought to kill Moses. So, so Moses' wife, Zipporah, she performs this emergency circumcision on the side of the road on her son, and she throws his foreskin at Moses' feet, and then all of a sudden, God is appeased, right? And to that, I say, wait, what? What is going on? This is crazy. Here's what I think is happening. Church, remember that circumcision is the sign of Israel's covenant with God. Right? The, and this is the very same covenant that God remembers in Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, uh, that, that uh, Denver uh, preached on a couple of weeks ago. The very same covenant that God remembers there when he begins to, uh, this, to carry out this plan to rescue his people from Egypt. That's the same covenant. And so the whole foundation of the Exodus rests on this covenant. And yet Moses has seemingly and carelessly disobeyed or, or ignored it. He's ignored its sign, which is circumcision. He hasn't performed this task yet. And this great, grand God that I, I have tried to share with you, he remembers his covenant promises. But he expects his people to do the same, that we are called uh, to, to remember the conditions of the covenant. And, and so Moses is held responsible for the provisions of, of the covenant with Abraham. And we find it in Genesis chapter 17. And that, that covenant required him to circumcise his son. Right? So as, as strange as this account seems to appear, this is the kind of behavior that we should expect from an infinitely holy God who keeps His Word in absolute completion. This was the expectation from God. I, I will keep my Word, and the covenant says, I will do this if you do that. And Moses has, has neglected. The covenant required circumcision, and a failure to do so meant you, you, you led the, the risk of being cut off. And so right at the beginning here, Moses is, is reminded in a really terrifying way that his own, his own relationship and his own life with God is dependent upon that same covenant. And so, praise the Lord that Zipporah, his wife, with her quick thinking, she steps in, right? And she performs uh, this emergency circumcision and the, the situation is resolved and the covenant is honored. That's what I think is at play in, in this text. So in all of this, church, in this chapter, the, the thing that I, I believe that we see God, the thing we see of God time and time again is God says, I will do. I will say. God is saying, I, 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 I am. I will be with you. He simply, he tells Moses the things that he ought to do, but he never ever puts the onus on, on Moses like the, that he has to carry this. God is saying, I will do it. I will say it. So understand this, Freshwater. When, when God commands us to do something from His Word, He will provide all that we will ever need. And He provides that in Himself because that's who He is. That's His nature, His character. In the fullness of who God is, He calls you out to do something. He will provide you with everything that you need to perform that task, and it's found in Him. Right? It's not found anywhere else. It's not found in, in uh, you know, fancy evangelistic methods of, of steering a conversation towards the gospel with someone. Right? I'm not saying those are good or bad. I'm just saying in, in all of these 
these peripheral things that we bring in. It's not about any of those things. The answer, the solution, the tools for the task are found in God, in His Word. And remember this about the Lord, that no, no one, no one determines His character. No one shapes Him or makes Him what He is. Right? He isn't in the process of becoming more. He doesn't learn anything new. Right? He isn't fickle and responding out of emotion. He's unchanging. He's steadfast. He's everlasting. He can't be manipulated. And that's what it means for Him to be God. And so that's why in the beginning I wanted you to understand when, when this human language, when this anthropomorphic language is put onto God, it's for our benefit, but it's not to say that God is like us. Because He is not like us. No, instead, God is all of those things that I, I just said. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere all at once. He's outside of time and space. His ways are not our ways. We can trust Him. And that's why He instructs Moses to tell the Israelites, hey, be confident. Because when, when the God who simply is from all eternity resolves to do a thing, He will do it. I am has sent you. And I want to be really, really clear here, church. This is the very same God that we serve today. Right? The God of the Old Testament isn't different from the God that we serve today. He's one and the same. He is everlasting and unchanging, and we can rest confidently in Him and trust Him. He has not changed. He is just as sovereign in your life today, in your setting, as He was in the life of the Israelites. So take heart and put your confidence in Him. It doesn't matter how insufficient you feel. Remember a few weeks ago, I, I told you that I, I've, I wanted my, my encouragement or my challenge to you was to feel small. Right, to feel small in this life before a God who is big. And I encourage you to come to the realization that in this life you, you will face troubling times. You will face times where the strength that you have, that you rely upon, just simply will not be enough to withstand whatever it is that you're going through in that moment. And I don't say that as a discouragement, I say it as an encouragement because it's in those times when you feel small that you need to remember that you have a big and sufficient God that you serve. And so the point of this, that, that I'm really, I feel like we're spending so much time driving this one point home is because, church, listen, I don't want the faith that you carry around with you in your life to be something that's just up here, that's in your head, Right When you say, yeah, I get it, Brandon, that, that, that when I feel small, God is big, I should rely upon Him, but that doesn't make me feel any better in, in the midst of that thing that I'm going through. And to that, I would say, I completely understand. But speaking from experience, having been brought through those times of trial and testing when I felt small and I felt insufficient and I felt lost, being carried out of that faithfully by the Lord and looking back and seeing the ways that He was with me all along the way. If I had just been able in that moment to see, and it's so hard in that moment to do, but if you can see in that moment, if you can remain faithful to God, if you can stay true in His Word during those times, you will see that it is, it's God who's carrying you through. You are insufficient, Christian, but God is not. So, let me close with this. I want to give an encouragement and I want to give a challenge. My encouragement to those of you if you have a, a desire to follow after the Lord, if, if you want to do these things that I've talked about but, but you just find it hard to do because you're afraid or you have doubt or you're insecure, you just think, I can't do it, but I want to do it. I know I need to do it, but I just, I don't know how. I hope that these words are an encouragement to you. 
to help you in those times to overcome your doubts and your fears that prevent you from doing the thing that God has called you to do. Because I'm telling you that God, God is faithful and He will provide everything that you need to carry you through that time. Whatever He's called you to do, it doesn't matter. He's given you all that you need for that task so you can have confidence. Right? So that's my encouragement is, is have confidence in the Lord. Right? You understand the word confidence? It, it just, the word confidence simply means with faith. So carry out your faith in the Lord in those times. That's my encouragement. Now here's my challenge, possibly for others. If you're living in exile, let's say, as Moses was, you don't feel the need, you don't have the desire to follow after God in faithful obedience. Maybe you even consider yourself to be a Christian, but you just don't have the desire to follow You've just kind of fallen into a rut, complacency. If you're not seeking to, to live out this radical, life-changing way of following Jesus, then I want to ask you to ask yourself a question. Ask yourself, do, do you even know the Lord? Right? Because if we have this grand view of God and this grand view of His Word, and we believe that it's true... Right, then, then we're not exempt from all of these things. And if you just simply don't have the desire to follow after in faithful obedience, and, I, and listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that it is one way or the other. Just simply ask yourself, do you know the Lord? Do you, if you don't have that desire to follow, then why not? And if you do believe that you have that relationship with God, then... then Ask yourself, what, what is stopping you from responding to Him in this way? Why aren't you following after Him in faithful obedience? What's stopping you? Just know, church, that when we surrender to the Lord, this is the life that we're called to follow Him. So we're going to enter into... a a time of, of singing unto the Lord. And then after that, we're, we're going to take communion. And I'm going to come back up here and I'm going to say a few things about that. And so, I want you to, to just reflect in that time. I guess we're, we're going to take communion before we do songs, aren't we? Sorry. All right. So in this time then, I, I want you to, to just... Pause and consider those things. Allow me to say a, a couple of things then that I think just leads well into us taking communion, taking the, these, these elements, right, that, that symbolize our Lord's body. If you don't have one of these cups, they're, they're back on the table by the entry door. Church, as we, as we draw near to, to what, at least in my upbringing, we, we would affectionately refer to as the Lord's table, right? we're going to take communion. This looks a little bit different than, than what we might like. But right now, this is, this is the means that we have. So praise God that, that we can do this. But when we draw near to, to this time to celebrate the communion, the body and the blood of Christ, I want us to be grateful to, to remember that our Lord instituted this ordinance, right? Christ gave us the command to do this. And here, here are a couple of things that I just want you to be mindful of during this time. I want you to be mindful of Jesus dying for our sakes, right? And, and, and the pledge of His undying love. Right? That He took on all of our sin and our guilt and our shame. He took that upon Himself. And not only that, the, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus in carrying that wrath and guilt, and, or that, that sin and guilt and shame. And in exchange, Christ took His purity, His holiness, His innocence, and He, he put it on us. 
So when we take these elements, remember that. Remember also that this is a symbol that we have union with Him. All right, scripture refers to us as a body of believers as being a part of His body. And so remember that we have union with Christ and we are members of His body when we take this. And remember, lastly, the blessed assurance of His presence. Right, that He is with us right now, in this time, in this place. So think of those things.